So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 74. That's hard to believe, but here we are. Podcast, episode 74. Thanks for uh, giving uh, this modest little podcast your time. I appreciate it. So the topic that I want to address uh, this episode is the crackdown that's currently going on in China, in mainland China, uh, with regard to various Christian churches. I've read in the news that certain megachurches, certain big churches, have been uh, shut down. Uh, But the most remarkable um, story coming out of China is uh, what is happening to the Early Rain Covenant Church. Uh, Early Rain is um, uh, it's an interesting case. Uh, it's an interesting case because these folks are Reformed, Presbyterian, uh, Covenantal. They have a classical Christian um, school there. They have a classical Christian college there, and it's the only Christian college in China. Uh, so, and and they have recently been. Rated, they've been the the Chinese government is cracking down on Christians, generally on unregistered churches, generally. Uh, but Early Rain uh, Covenant Church is included in this. The leaders have been arrested. The uh, uh, attempts to uh, well, a number of the members have been arrested as well. Uh, told not to meet. They have continued to meet meeting in. Uh, open-air settings, meeting in parks, that sort of thing. Uh, and the my, one of my colleagues here, uh, Toby Sumter in Moscow, um, b- basically uh, uh, pointed to something that the pastor there said, that this is, this is what it looks like uh, when the government realizes that the people are no longer afraid of them. When the government realizes that Christians are no longer afraid of them, this is what they have to do, and so um, uh, the obviously what what can we do? You know what can we do? Well, we can um, we can certainly pray for our brothers and sisters who are paying a very real a very tangible price for their commitment to Jesus Christ. We can lift them up in prayer. We can pray for them regularly. We can um, ask God to give them a token for good. Ask God to give them. Um, uh, developments that will encourage and, and encourage and sustain them. That's one thing uh, we can do. Uh, but another thing we can do is that we can factor this situation into our political thinking about other things that are going on. In other words, uh, right now uh, the United States is engaged in uh, ongoing and somewhat hard-nosed trade negotiations with China. And uh, whether or not you believe that the president is playing objectively, ob- objectively playing hardball with the Chinese, the Chinese certainly feel like he's playing hardball uh, with them, and they're, they're reacting to that accordingly. I think that in our thinking, in our prayers, and in our support, and in our communication with our elected representatives, how China treats Christians needs to be a relevant relevant factor in how we think about uh, business as usual um, 
trade relations with the Chinese. In other words, we don't we don't want to say be saying something like, well, we disagree with how they're treating the Christians, but we don't want to rock the boat with regard to our inexpensive smartphones. That's that's not the kind of trade-off that we should uh, want to make. We should pray that the president links human rights abuses that are endemic to the communist system, that he links their, uh, their record on human rights, which is dismal, to um, these trade negotiations. We, we don't want to worship the almighty dollar. We don't want to say what's good for trade is good for, uh, good for everybody. Well, it's not good for everybody. It's not good for the people who are not being given the freedom to worship uh, God the Father through Jesus Christ in China. So, the Chinese government has not changed its stripes. They are still hostile to the uh, Word of God. They are still hostile to biblical Christianity. They are acting like it. As you pray, as you think about these things, pray for Early Rain Covenant Church. Pray for the saints there. Pray for the work that's going on there. Pray for the education that they've, uh, they're seeking to uh, uh, recover, undertake, pray for their college, pray for, pray for that work, and pray for it as uh, the, the pastor there uh, was converted late in, late in life, and he, uh, he was an attorney um, uh, be, before. He has been in a legal battle with the government before. He, uh, he in fact, uh, won a legal battle with the Chinese government before, but in this most recent crackdown, he has disappeared, um, and uh, we, as as this is being recorded, we don't know where he is. So pray for him, pray for his wife, pray for the, the all the saints there, and pray that this would be an occasion of some sort of breakthrough. So pray for Early Rain Covenant Church. So the book review um, for... Uh, Podcast 74 is a, well, it's a book, it's a collection of books fused into one book in modern times. The, the book I have in mind is John Owen and um, uh, Justin Taylor and, uh, and another fellow, I've forgotten his first name, his last name is Capic. Justin Taylor and uh, Mr. Capic uh, have uh, produced a volume called Overcoming Sin and Temptation. And this is a an uh, edited. Uh, this is a version of John Owen on mortification of sin, on temptation, on dealing with sin. That is uh, updated and edited for the modern reader, uh, retypeset, um, and um, bound together. I think there's three books in this uh, in this one volume, and it's John Owen on sin, temptation, mortification. And um, the, there, there are several things uh, to remark about. It's, I'm going through it now. It's very, very wholesome, very good. Um, John Owen is the opposite of a perfectionist. And by a perfectionist, I'm referring to those who, who say that you can achieve, that Christians can achieve sinless perfection in this life. So a perfectionist is not, we're not talking about someone who's personality is that of perfectionism, but rather someone who uh, doctrinally teaches that we can 
perfectly obey everything the New Testament says without falling short of it in any way. So uh, one time, one time Charles Spurgeon was talking to a young man who claimed to have attained sinless perfection. And uh, Spurgeon said that he, he didn't dispute or argue with him. He just leaned forward and trod heavily on his foot. And Spurgeon said his perfection vanished as the morning dew. <laughs> so there, there are people who are perfectionists. There are perfectionistic traditions in the um, evangelical world. Charles Finney, for example, was uh, one example of a perfectionist. And, you, and, and John Owen um, basically uh, taught, following the Reformed and Orthodox position, that reigning sin is mortified definitively. The old man is crucified in Christ. Um, so there is a definitive mortification that occurs for everyone who is truly converted. But there is, and what John Owen is dealing with in this book, is the um, the need to deal with what's called remaining sin. So reigning sin is uh, dead and gone, but remaining sin is something we still have to grapple with, still have to uh, deal with and deal with constantly, deal with in an ongoing way, right? So John Owen says uh, he should not think he makes any progress in godliness who walks not daily over the bellies of his lusts. Uh, it's that kind of thing. Now, John Owen teaches that that we're always going to be dealing with remaining sin. You're, you're never going to be able to flip a switch and have temptation and sin leave you entirely alone. Uh, and one of the um, one of the blessings that comes from reading Owen on temptation and sin and mortification is that uh, John Owen puts the lie to what might be said by a perfectionist who says that uh, people who deny perfectionism are trying to make room for sin or trying to carve out a space for sin or create a little cubbyhole where sin can be safe and secure. And you don't have to read 10 pages of Owen uh, to realize how intensely he hates sin. Um, he hates sin. He pursues it. His intention is to uh, track it down and kill it, track it down to its lair and kill it. Um, he is not making any kind of room for sin at all. What he's doing is he's refusing to make room for the sin of self-satisfaction of the, the, the Pharisee in the temple who prayed, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. Uh, in, in other words, we have, to be, we have to be on our guard against sin everywhere, even in our battle against sin. So, just a quick illustration, and then we'll be done. I commend this book to you. Crossway puts it out, Overcoming Sin and Temptation, Capic and Taylor. Um, very edifying, uh, very edifying uh, read. Very, just very good for the soul. When someone is converted, uh, picture it this way. Um, our, our lives are a weed patch. Uh, just a weed patch. And when we're converted, God rototills the weed patch under, and we have a black rectangle, a black rectangle of black soil. And 
that weed patch is now a garden. It's now officially a, a garden. God's planted new seed in it, and we can see the corner stakes. We can see here's where the garden is. Uh, all And you see that in Galatians um, uh, Galatians 6, all who desire to live a godly life. Uh, well, um, um, all who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, uh, and also Romans 6. So you have a definitive mortification that happens there in Romans 6 and in, and, and in Galatians 6. Uh, a second kind of mortification is what you see in Colossians 3, where Paul says, mortify your members which are on the earth. And you look at the beginning of the letter, he's talking to saints, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to true uh, believers. Uh, but he is saying, mortify your members which are on the earth. And then in Galatians, Colossians 3, 5, he gives a list of those things that were to mortify. And they're pretty gnarly sins, uh, pretty, pretty bad sins. So going back to the image of the garden, it's uh, knee-high Canadian thistle. You know, it's, the, the weeds are pretty bad. And the, the um, verb tense of, on mortify is aorist imperative, which is basically an over-and-done, a completed action. Put it to death, and when, it's, when you're done, the thing is dead. Um, so you're pulling up these weeds, and it's a completed action, a definitive completed, completed action. That's the second kind of mortification. The third kind of mortification is in Romans 8, where um, uh, we who by the Spirit put to death mortify the misdeeds of the body. And that's also tending the garden. And you're also and you're tending the garden um, with regard to many of the same sins, but at a different stage, at a different place, a different uh, uh, a different moment. So uh, this third stage of mortification, uh, and this is what John Owen is trying to get you to do, is to get up every morning at 5 a.m. to go out and weed your garden. And when you go out to weed, there's never been a gardener in the history of the world who has gone out uh, prepared to pull weeds at 5 a.m. who didn't find something. Right? Everybody, find, Every diligent gardener who goes out to weed always finds something. And that's the way it is with us. Now, the, the, you might find the same kind of weed as, as you did in Colossians 3.5, the same species of weed. But this time, it's not up to your thigh. This time, it's the size of your thumbnail. And pulling it is not that as big a deal. It's not as traumatic. Uh, it's not as exciting. But it's got to be ongoing. And, and that's the kind of thing that John Owen spurs you on to want to do uh, in this book. So, Overcoming Sin and Temptation. Great book. So, we come to our Hamartiology section of our podcast, reminding you that uh, Hamartios is the Greek word for sin. So, we're going through the New Testament looking at all the different Greek words for different kinds of sins. And the word anatrepo is used in the New Testament twice. Anatrepo. It's translated once as overthrow in 2 Timothy 2.18, and another time as subvert in Titus 1.11. In the first instance, the canker from Hymenaeus and Philetus said that the resurrection was already past, and this was sufficient to overthrow the faith of some. Capsize it, topple it, tip it over. In the second instance, false teachers this is from Titus, Titus 
So in the second instance, false teachers, especially of the circumcision, were peddling some different goods that were just as destructive. The result of their doctrinal lies, for a fee, was the subversion of whole households. In both instances, it refers to the, the destructive effect of false te teaching on wholesome Christian living. So notice that you've got two different errors, one in 2 Timothy and one in Titus, and these two errors have the same impact. They overthrow, subvert, undermine, topple, uh, knock over, um, otherwise do bad things to wholesome Christian living. And also, in the pastorals, we see that wholesome Christian uh, living is that which is in keeping with sound doctrine. So, you don't have uh, the, the New Testament is not divided up into the doctrine parts, which are for your head, and the ethical parts, which are for your heart and hands and life. Um, wholesome doctrine, good doctrine, is doctrine that's given to persons, and it has to do with how they think and how they live, uh, considered um, as integrated wholes. So, God on a triple. In the time of the sickness, God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.